This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A home invasion turns into a homicide investigation. It's believed that she was attacked by the two men who did gain entry into her house. A murder suspect traced back to Strathcona Park and new urgency to clean it up. A teenager struck in a hit and run. I've been going back and forth between terrified, depressed, and hopeful. The emotional appeal from her father. And benefit backlog. Let me know what the game plan is here. Businesses on the verge of collapse, hoping for better communication and faster out. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a tragic update. A Vancouver senior viciously attacked in her own home by two men allegedly posing as police officers has died. And two suspects have been arrested in what is now the city's second homicide of the year. Sarah McDonald is live with more on the men arrested and the connection, Sarah, to a notorious homeless camp. That's right, Chris. Sophie, still so many questions remain in this case, but as you mentioned, two major developments today. The first, a really sad one, the elderly victim in this case has now died. The second, two suspects, both known convicts with criminal records, have been arrested and charged in connection to her death. I wanted to see what condition. Is she okay? The last time Pramila Bajaj saw her neighbor, Usha Singh, was early Sunday morning as the 78-year-old was loaded into an ambulance after being viciously and violently attacked inside her own home. When I saw her, oh, it was bleeding everywhere. Even her mouth, everywhere on the face. It was terrible. Singh died of her injuries on Tuesday, turning what started as a violent home invasion into a homicide case, with two suspects, both men in their 40s, both with lengthy criminal records, now charged, accused of gaining entry to their alleged elderly victim's house by posing as police officers. Did those guys know her or? Pascal Jean-Claude Boutier and Sandy Jack Parisian already wanted on a Canada-wide warrant now stand charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter respectively. Arrested Tuesday evening as search warrants were executed in the downtown east side and at the Strathcona homeless encampments where Parisian lives and where some residents police say swarmed officers on site. It became a safety concern for the officers that were there, so much so that reinforcements had to be brought in from all over the city. But one lingering question remains and still unanswered by investigators. What would allegedly motivate the suspects to brutalize an elderly victim some six kilometers away? Police won't say if she was targeted or if they're investigating any other persons of interest. There has to be more to this story. Why was she the one targeted? These are all good questions. I'd love to answer them. We're in the process of trying to understand all of the circumstances of what happened on Sunday. Are you confident that everybody responsible for this incident has been arrested and charged? 
Again, the investigation is ongoing. Once again, the socioeconomic issues surrounding this controversial homeless encampment and the criminality orbiting it are fueling debate right across the city, with two known convicts with ties to this place allegedly killing an innocent elderly victim where she was supposed to be safest. The neighborhood is really getting bad now. Now that I heard this, now I don't feel like I cannot sleep like and late today, the city of Vancouver weighed in on this as well. Mayor Kennedy Stewart not making time for an on-camera interview, but saying in a statement in part, and I quote, the senseless killing of a senior inside her own home is incredibly tragic. It is concerning that VPD officers were obstructed in their duties while in Strathcona Park, and it underscores the need for all levels of government to build the housing we so desperately need, end quote. No doubt, Sophie and Chris, this is only going to reignite the conversation and the debate surrounding the controversial homeless encampment at Strathcona Park in light of the senseless and tragic murder of this Vancouver senior. Back to you guys. Certainly will. Thanks very much, Sarah. And after learning one of the home invasion suspects had, in, had been living in a tent in Strathcona Park, some Vancouver councillors are also now saying enough is enough. Last month, BC's housing minister set the end of April as a target to end the homeless camp and get people into housing. But Pete Fry and his colleagues on council say the community has endured almost eight months of repeated violence and waiting another three months is not good enough. It's obviously untenable. This is, uh, we've had two deaths in the park already. We've had a number of pretty severe beatings. Uh, spoke to the family of a young man who lost his leg after being beaten and uh, lit on fire here in the park. And um, obviously it's not sustainable. We need to do better as a city. All right, we've got some breaking news for you now that shows the Delta Police Department paid thousands of dollars to a crisis communication firm after a controversy involving Chief Neil DeBoard's wife. She was accused of spraying a Surrey woman with a hose. When pub that woman went public with her story, and late this afternoon, the department reluctantly revealed the cost. Catherine Urquhart now has that information. Late today, Deputy Chief Harj Sadu put out a statement. In that statement, he fails to say which PR firm was hired. However, he does acknowledge that 42 thousand dollars of taxpayer money was spent on crisis communications related to actions by the chief's wife. Also in the statement, it says that the contract was set up by former deputy chief Norm Lipinski, who consulted directly with the firm. Lipinski is now chief of Surrey Police Services. Lois Jackson, a counselor in Delta, told Global News that she wants more answers, and she will be seeking them at next council meeting on Monday. Also, we should mention that an investigation into how this entire matter was handled by Delta Police is still ongoing by the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. All right, charges have been laid in a weekend double stabbing that became Vancouver's first homicide of 2021. 48-year-old Kenneth Gates is accused of second-degree murder in the death of 40-year-old Jeremy Green. Gates was arrested Sunday morning when police were called to an SRO on Water Street in Gastown. Officers found two stabbing victims there. Green died on the scene, while a 28-year-old was taken to hospital and is expected to survive. Gates is also charged with aggravated assault. He remains in custody. 
Burnaby RCMP are investigating a stabbing that sent two young people to hospital. Police say it happened just after noon at Howard and Hastings Streets. One youth suffered serious but non-life-threatening stab wounds and the other suffered defensive wounds. Police have no suspects at this point and are not saying whether the incident is related to the nearby Burnaby North Secondary School. The B.C. government has unveiled another multi-million dollar program for small and medium-sized businesses, this time to help them improve their online presence. But as Richard Zussman reports, tens of millions of dollars from a previous business program are being held up by bureaucracy. It's never been harder for Vancouver Island Brewing to get beer from here so to your belly. Oh, hey, as with many businesses in BC and across Canada, we've had some significant declines over the last year. COVID-19 restrictions, meaning fewer shipments to restaurants, a drop-off in visitors to the brewery, both from Victoria and visiting the city. That's why this website launched Wednesday by the provincial government is seen as relief. New grant money to support a move to online sales. The program that was announced today in terms of the launch online grant is going to be fantastic for our brewery. The grant will cover 75% of costs up to $7,500. And eligible businesses must employ fewer than 149 BC residents. Businesses must have generated more than $30,000 in sales in the past year and can't have a current online store. Now is the time for us to build their online sales so they can have the opportunity to become more competitive and grow. This grant is on top of a pandemic grant the province is currently struggling to distribute. There are 6,500 applications being processed for $300 million available. So far, just 12 million of that has been distributed and the program started in September. Many businesses are just clinging to life until the money arrives. The Premier doesn't want to acknowledge that this is a red tape disaster, that it is too cumbersome for businesses to apply, it's too cumbersome for businesses to be approved in. Take, for example, Peck and Paw in Gastown. The restaurant says the pandemic has knocked them on their butt. Revenues are about 20% of what they should be. Their hope is more clarity from the province on what COVID case counts mean for restrictions. What do the numbers have to be to let me know okay, I should be considering maybe letting some people go. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any forecasting that we're able to rely on. A feeling many businesses have as they struggle through a pandemic, making it hard to rely on pretty much anything. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Testing has now been completed at Garibaldi High School in Maple Ridge after an exposure involving the UK variant of COVID-19. Earlier this week, rapid tests were used on students and staff. Today, public health teams confirmed the original person did have the variant, but has since recovered, and health officials say there's no longer an exposure risk. 81 students and eight educators were also tested and are all negative. Rapid testing of the school cohort originally indicated one positive case, which was later confirmed as a false positive. Court documents obtained by Global News are shedding more light on the Sunday morning raid of a suspected illegal nightclub. Get your place in the wagon. Do you have anything else that we've missed on you? According to a search warrant, there had been six COVID-related complaints about the penthouse apartment since January 2nd. The warrant states on several occasions, resident Mo Mavasaji had refused to open the door for officers. 
Evidence gathered from surveillance cameras shows food and party supplies, including 100 McDonald's cheeseburgers, were delivered to the apartment. Movisaji was charged with failing to comply with public health orders. He's due back in court February 22nd. Police also handed out fines to 77 partygoers, totaling more than $17,000. All right, now let's take a look at our latest COVID-19 numbers. We have 414 new cases for a total now of 68,780 in B.C. Sadly, 16 more people have died. That means we've now lost 1,234 people to complications of the virus. 278 people are in hospital, 80 in the ICU. 61,643 people are considered recovered. We're now left with 4,426 active cases and 7,049 people in self-isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more. 16 deaths is a lot more than we've been seeing in recent mm. days. Keith, where are those happening? Yeah, unfortunately, a pattern has emerged that the North has been being particularly hard hit when it comes to people dying from COVID-19. Of the 16, 10 are in long -term, were in long-term care, five of them in the North, seven in Fraser Health, three in Vancouver Coastal, one here on Vancouver Island. But you go back the last week, Sophie, uh, 24 people in the North Authority have died from COVID-19. A number of those, the majority of those are in long-term care. There's a, a bad outbreak in long-term care in Prince Rupert, a long-term care facility there. They had no COVID for almost the entire pandemic until recently. So what we're seeing in the north right now, uh, somewhat troubling. Absolutely, Keith. No in-person COVID numbers briefing until Friday. But Dr. Henry mm -hmm. is expected to talk about school safety tomorrow. Yeah. What do we know about that? Yeah, it's a big spending announcement tomorrow with Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside and Dr. Bonnie Henry and the president of the B.C. School Trustees Association. You may remember at the beginning of the school year, back in September, the federal government uh, came up with $242 million for B.C. schools. Only half of that has been spent. Tomorrow will be an allocation of the other $121 million. How, this is how it broke down last time. Uh, it was money for improved air systems in schools and such. And a lot of that been, work's been done since then. Additional cleaning supplies as well. Uh, funding for salaries to hire extra staff if that was required to uh, cover public health protocols, additional PPE. Not necessarily that's what it's going to be spent on tomorrow. The other thing is the fact that Dr. Bonnie Henry there tells me, or at least I've been informed, that means the public health protocols in schools are going to be revisited and updated. One of the more contentious ones is the wearing of masks. I'm told there's going to be an expanded use of mask requirements tomorrow, but not a mandatory use for kids in classrooms. But nevertheless, there's going to be an update to a lot of issues that have been somewhat controversial in our school system since school began back in September. That's at 10 a.m. tomorrow. We'll see what happens then. Keith, thank you. It's an urgent appeal for information in a hit and run that left a promising young athlete and straight-A student fighting for her life. How you can help next on the NewsHour. A major breach of privacy. The American company guilty of using its facial recognition technology in ways Canadians never considered. That's later on the news hour. And invasive species taking over what the province is doing to battle back and how it's a job opportunity for hundreds of people. Coming up. Right now, though, a North Vancouver teen critically injured in a hit and run last month is showing signs of improvement in hospital. She suffered what could be life-altering brain injuries. Grace Key has more on the fight the athletic top student is facing and her father's plea to anyone with information to come forward. 
A hit-and-run collision left 17-year-old Grace Haynes in an induced coma for more than a week. But finally, she's been able to respond to doctors. And she's starting to open one of her eyes, not the other. And she is um, also starting to have some very basic responses. So a little bit of a thumbs up when asked a question. The collision happened at 10.15 p.m. January 25th near Keith Road East and St. Andrews Avenue in North Vancouver. Grace went out for a run after studying. Witnesses later found her on the road unconscious. A CT scan showed blood pooling on the left side of her brain. She now has a, a big scar on the side of her head where they've opened up her skull to remove that clean it out. And the positive news is subsequent CT scans don't show any further bleeding, which is amazing. Police arrested a driver and seized a car. The driver was released pending further investigation. Police are looking for witnesses and video of a newer white vehicle around the collision scene and also the Lynn Valley Centre Safeway parking lot. It's possible that the vehicle that struck this young woman may have used some smaller side streets and may have driven down Lynn Valley Road to the parking lot at the Safeway. My message to anyone who knows anything about this is to come forward to the police because um, it's going to help the doctors know exactly what happened to my daughter and diagnose it. A lot of stuff they can see where there could be an injury, but they can't see how severe it is. A lot of that diagnosis is going to be clinical, so how she responds after. An outstanding athlete with a 100% average in school, Grace plans to study engineering at Queen's University. If anybody has the strength mentally and physically to fight this, it's my daughter. Grace Key, Global News. After a record number of calls last month, North Shore Rescue was in action again last night and today. The latest rescue to save two people who were unprepared for a hike in the wilderness. A helicopter was called in to help get the two women out after they ran into trouble hiking Eagle Bluffs in West Vancouver and called police. One woman was in her 20s, the other in her 30s, one dressed in shorts and runners. What else can you say you learned from this experience? That I need to do more research and I need to have more stuff on my, in my knapsack and I need to be prepared to stay the night if that becomes the case. You know, it's very easy to say a trail is easy in the beginning and then it just hits you like a wall. And it just gets harder and harder and people get stubborn and they think they can make it to the top, which, you know, I think in the back of our head, we were trying to keep doing that because we're like, we're so close. They would not have lasted long uh, in those conditions. No, absolutely not. They did have things in their backpack. Uh, they did have headlamps. Uh, they did have micro spikes, but they didn't have enough clothing to keep warm uh, if they twisted an ankle or anything of that nature. North Shore Rescue says the one thing the two did do right was staying in place after they had called for help. Twelve puppies and dogs in distress have been removed from a breeder on Vancouver Island. The four adult dogs and eight three-month-old puppies were seized because of a lack of veterinary care. There were also concerns that the dogs had exposure to canine parvovirus, a highly contagious and potentially deadly virus. The animals were taken to local vets to be checked out and treated. The investigation continues and the dogs are not available for adoption at this time. Well, the COVID pandemic inspires a new way to hold weddings. It was hard for a bride to keep planning with all the changes that was happening. How a local hotel pivoted to offer pop-up celebrations next. 
And later, Dirty Money Dilemma. Testimony at the Cullen Commission shows what led to some tension at BC casinos. Good evening. Still seeing a lot of volume over here at both North Shore bridges. It looks like a lot of people took advantage of the nice weather and snow on the local mountains today. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Well, with the pandemic putting traditional nuptials on hold, a Richmond hotel is offering couples a unique COVID-safe way to tie the knot, and it appears to be catching on. Nadia Stewart shows us how local event planners are rethinking their business models with pop-up weddings. It was an idea sparked by the frustration of brides. Devastated, their wedding plans were being spoiled by forces beyond their control. We had brides all through 2020 just trying to make their weddings work, and then the restrictions changed. So Alice Fung decided to change the way they did weddings. Joining forces with decor expert Kathleen Chu of ProLine Events and Executive Hotel Vancouver Airport, they created a pop-up wedding. Everything a bride and groom needs for their special day in one place for a great price. This decor itself is over $2,500 of decor is put into every single room. We have three spaces, but we're only charging $1,500 during the Valentine pop-up. Couples have three options, a romantic, intimate, candlelit room, a fairy tale style wedding in the ballroom, or an outdoor ceremony with a gazebo. Every space set up for just 10 guests, the room featuring some of the top wedding decor. Kathleen, has, uh, she runs ProLine Events. She assessed all of the rentals from 2019 and 2020, and she decided which rentals were the most popular and chosen by brides. There are so many couples are waiting, you know, that how they can overcome the current you know, situation and tie the knot and get married. Masood Shah with Executive Hotels and Resorts says it has been less than 48 hours since they began advertising the venue and already they've been getting calls. He anticipates more. And while it might not be the wedding of their dreams, at least this could be an end to the nightmare that wedding planning has been over the last several months. It's a solution for the time being, but it's a solution of hope to see what we are looking forward to. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Still ahead, the U.S. company guilty of a major privacy breach. How Clearview AI was using millions of images posted to social media and why it was a violation of your privacy. Also ahead, a little boy who only eats Nature's Path waffles and the mission to keep him fed now that the company is no longer making them. Busy but steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge and also still seeing some minor delays for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector through Richmond on the approach. Get 0% financing for up to 84 months plus $8,000 in government rebates on the all-electric 2020 Bolt EVLT. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. An American tech company is under fire from privacy regulators across Canada for its facial recognition software. As Ted Chernecki reports, it's been used by dozens of police agencies, but a Canadian report calls it a clear violation of privacy rights and a dangerous step towards mass surveillance. 
The misuse of facial recognition software is far more widespread than previously thought, according to a new 29-page study from the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada. It's been looking into the American company Clearview AI in particular, because the RCMP and other police agencies had been using it, and without consent from the individual in question, it's illegal in Canada. We didn't consent to have our photos that we put on Facebook to be part of that database. And that's exactly what this issue is because our photos, our faces are biometric information, just like our fingerprint is to unlock our phones. We're all suspects. We're all put into this database. It would be all of, like all of us being lined up in a, in a police uh, lineup. There are some real problems with this technology as well in terms of its capability. Unlike Hollywood's version, facial recognition isn't that good. The report says it falsely identifies Asian and black individuals at a rate of 10 to 100 times higher than Caucasians. BC Civil Liberty says now is the time for all levels of government in Canada to enact bans on facial recognition surveillance by law enforcement and intelligence agencies. The report does, however, recognize the legitimate reasons for facial recognition. Most companies, organizations, want to do the right thing. They want to build trust with their customers. Uh, but when companies don't, there has to be a deterrent. There has to be a penalty that says to companies, uh, if you want to go down that route, you will pay uh, a price for doing so. For the first time, the American company says clearly that it is pulling out of the Canadian market. But we do make it so easy for another one to start up. The one thing that people should not do is to use those third-party apps that say, oh, what is your face going to look like in 20 years? Or how are you going to age? Because that is just a whole data mining experiment. I urge everybody to avoid those apps like the plague. And speaking of the plague, finally a benefit from COVID. All those face masks aren't going away, potentially messing up those illegal databases for years. Ted Chernacki Global News. The line between enforcing the rules and not offending high-rolling VIPs was at the center of testimony at the Cullen Commission today. Pat Ennis was head of security and or surveillance for Great Canadian Gaming for more than 20 years. He says he was concerned about money laundering at casinos his entire career. They started hanging around lower mainland casinos back in the early 90s, always ready to hand out cash to high-rollers who had just lost it all. It made customers uncomfortable, and the loan stars could be very aggressive at times. The person who oversaw Great Canadian Gaming security and surveillance for nearly three decades told the Cullen Commission the casino operator took a zero-tolerance approach towards loan sharks. Were you concerned at that time that this cash might be the proceeds of crime? Um, I think, yes. Obviously, we, we would have had some concerns about where the money was coming from. As betting limits were raised and larger amounts of cash started flooding in, Patrick Ennis stated Great Canadian's role was to observe and report. Is it fair to say then that you were at least alive to the possibility that these large cash transactions may have a connection to money laundering? Yes. Further investigation was left to the BC Lottery Corporation or gaming regulator. No problem for Great Canadian unless it was in a VIP room. Being a customer service business and the fact that these are VIPs, uh, we wanted to ensure that... Um, they were made comfortable, they weren't embarrassed as a cultural issue, and they didn't lose face in front of their friends. Even when a VIP was seen accepting $645,000 in a cash drop-off. Based on Great Canadians' familiarity with that player, Ennis told the commission he felt regulator concerns were overblown. Was it your perspective that GPEG was overreacting to this issue of, of large cash transactions and cash drop-offs? Um, in this circumstance, yes. And why is that? 
Uh, he played all the money. He lost all the money. He was a regular player. Commission Council would also question Ennis about a River Rock staff member being allegedly assaulted by a VIP player. The February 2016 incident later investigated by BCLC. The writer spoke with Pat Ennis, who indicated that police were not called by GCGC on the wishes of one of the staff members. However, writer believes that the staff member was in an extremely vulnerable position and would have looked at her superiors for assistance, support, and direction. Ennis told the commission that player was ultimately barred from the casino. The security department interviewed the victim and offered uh, police interaction and also uh, support services uh, from workplace harassment policies, as they should have. The staff member who allegedly asked police not be called would later be deregistered for allowing another player to buy chips for someone who was banned. And obviously, the deregistration issue was, uh, I don't know where her head was at and why she did what she did there, but she was a valued employee and, and well-liked by our VIP players. It would be that same year, more than two decades after Ennis first noticed them hanging around casinos, that Great Canadian ordered VIP cash connected to a suspected loan shark be refused. John Hua, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a small but enthusiastic rally today by BC nurses challenging the province on the increasing cost of their fees. The nurses say they're at a breaking point in the workplace and the pandemic is making things worse. They're calling on the province to hire more staff, increase wages to the same level as frontline workers in male-dominated professions, and address ballooning professional fees. We have contacted Adrian Dix hundreds of emails. He has not returned anybody's email. Uh, we've gone uh, contacted the college. We've contacted the union. We've contacted the nursing association. We've made our concerns clear, and, and it has not been received uh, by anybody. So today we want to bring this to the public. We didn't want to have to bother them with this, um, but we're hoping that we can get their support on Friday. Uh, this coming Friday, and just do one 7 o'clock salute for us, and uh, hashtag uh, financial abuse. The petition calling on the B.C. government to, quote, stop gouging health care workers has been signed by more than 23,000 people so far. Straight ahead, a desperate search for a certain type of waffles. There are last six cases. How a local company went above and beyond to make a little boy happy. And in sports, pro golfer Alina Sharp dialing it in for the LPGA with a lot to celebrate in the offseason. The crisis of invasive species in B.C. has grown to such a scale that the organization responsible for controlling it is going on a hiring spree. The Invasive Species Council in BC is hiring 200 people to look for species such as the Asian giant hornet and the weed known as the terrorist of the plant world. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the program also wants to turn all of us into investigators. When gray squirrels were introduced to BC in the early 1900s, it was bad news for smaller native species like red and Douglas squirrels that suddenly had to compete for survival. That is what invasive species do. When you introduce a goldfish to a pond or, or lake, it's starting to eat the food that the native fish would be eating there. So 
it actually totally disrupts our natural ecosystem. That's unreal. Tackling the ever-growing number of introduced invasive species, both animals and plants, is an enormous challenge for the Invasive Species Council of BC, one that's about to get a little easier. It was great announcements by the Premier. He announced uh, $12 million for invasive species in British Columbia. The big part of this is it actually creates jobs for British Columbians right now, and times are tough for many people. $8 million from the total will be used to create 200 jobs, which will include training on how to identify and treat invasive species, as well as expanding knowledge in the community. Community science is where we train individuals across the province to be able to watch for and then report invasive species and take responsible actions. Action that needs to be taken quickly before an invasive species takes hold, like the snakehead fish in Burnaby Lake a few years ago. It was because a citizen reported it, and that's what made the difference and be able to respond on it very quickly. Asian giant hornet. It was a trained person that was actually a beekeeper that spotted the first Asian giant hornet in British Columbia. So the more trained eyes there are, the better the chance we can get the upper hand on the problem. And when the jobs, which will last between three months and a year, are over... They'll have those skills for a lifetime and they'll be able to share it with their networks and their peers so we have more people across British Columbia watching and reporting. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Apparently the job listings will be posted next week on the Invasive Species Council's website and you can find a link on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. All right, let's check in with senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, such a great day, Christy, even though Chris and I were all... <laughs> Only we got to see here. on the way into work. But. I looked outside, I saw the North Shore Mountains, yeah, you, and I can't even remember the last time it rained around here. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, how quickly we forget, right? right? Uh, yes, we deserve today, i tell you that, we had four days of rain. So if you were like Chris and forgot about it, good for you, because yes, it was gorgeous today. Now, when we have clear skies, sometimes we get a little bit of frost. Yes, it was a chilly start to the day. Check out these beautiful photos. This first one from Maple Ridge. Thank you to Andrea for this. Uh, we showed them before, but basically on a car, for example, when you get frost, sometimes you get these beautiful fern-like patterns. And one of the reasons why you get those is little imperfections in your glass. It could be a dent, it could be a scratch, it could be a little bit of dust. <laughs> Not saying that your car is dirty, Daniel, uh, but this is a photo actually from nine-year-old Daniel. So this is his dad's car. So thank you, Daniel, for that one. Great shot. I love the uh, very cool artistic shot you sent us. But yeah, so great to see the uh, frost photos from today. We are going to see significant snow overnight as a system rolls from northwest BC right down into southern BC tomorrow. So it means snowfall for inland regions and coastal regions, periods of rain. That includes us. So yes, more rain on the way, but it does, uh, or it is expected to roll out quite quickly. It's a fast-moving system. In the meantime, this is how much snowfall you can expect. These areas here expecting that mostly through the overnight period, and then it shifts into the southern regions throughout the day tomorrow. Bulk of that snowfall, though, really in the Caribou, Central Interior regions, and there's your forecast. Extremely cold in through the far north with highs of only minus 20 or minus 25. Across the south, light amounts for the Okanagan Valley and for the coastal regions, rainfall but snow north of Squamish and east of Hope. But the rain only lasts for one day on Friday. 
Wow, someone's got squeaky, squeaky breaks there. All right, Friday, just a chance of showers, but mostly dry on Friday. One thing I want to point out here is that the dry weekend we were anticipating, it's looking a little iffy now. So tune back in tomorrow and we'll have more details on that. In the meantime, here's your central windows weather window from Gord McCormick. A beautiful shot of the Merritt sunset. Thanks, Gord, for that one. Nice name, too. Spectacular. (laughs) Yeah, Gord. Thanks, Gordo. (laughs) Beautiful shot. All right, there is Squire joining us now with a look ahead to sports. Squire, what you got? Well, um, we're going to talk about Elena Sharp, as uh, you mentioned a little while ago. We're also going to talk about um, Tom Brady and the impact he has had on Tampa Bay and their head coach, Bruce Arians. I think the biggest thing with Tom is that he's just one of the guys. It's hard to be humble, but apparently he can do it. And his teammates love him. Well, one of the reasons they love him, he wins wherever he is. Mm. All right, also ahead with only one meal on his menu, a young boy and his mom get help to locate the waffles he loves. All right, Squires here with sports. What you got, Squire? Well, we'll start with the Canucks, who had the day off today. They've gone from Montreal to Toronto. Their next three games are against Toronto, and that begins tomorrow, then Saturday and Monday. Uh, my guess is with Tyler Toffoli scoring eight goals against Vancouver in five games, Travis Green's nightmare is that the Habs trade Toffoli to Toronto before tomorrow's game. Toffoli's revenge against the Canucks for not signing him is like he's mastered some sort of hockey version of the dark arts. Sometimes when you think about it, why did the Canucks trade for Toffoli in the first place? If they didn't know for sure, they could re-sign him in the offseason. Obviously, they wanted to make the playoffs with him, but he only played here for 17 games. That was the ultimate tease on Canucks Nation, and his former teammates have to endure his wrath. Yeah, what do you say? He should have scored him last year. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, he's a great player, an awesome guy. But of course, it's uh, it sucks that he has to score those goals against us. But it is what it is. Todd Bertuzzi, his <laughs> saying is, is. is all over the world. If in fact he was the first guy to say it. Uh, anyway, so we now know that investing in a 43-year-old quarterback, who many thought won a lot because of Bill Belichick's system in New England, was a really good idea. Apparently, if you are in the Brady Bunch, you will be a winner in the NFL no matter where you might play, as long as Tom is with you. And considering Belichick and the Patriots had a losing season, it's further proof that Tom Brady isn't just legendary because he was in New England. And his coach in Tampa, Bruce Arians, is having Belichick-like success because now he has Tom on his team. Well, I think the great quarterbacks all have it. They, they have the ability to will themselves on other people uh, to make sure that everybody has bought into the cause and the cause is a rain. Brady throws, end zone, he's got Evans for the touchdown. I think the biggest thing with Tom is that he's just one of the guys. You know, uh, until you're with a guy of his stature, you really don't know his personality on a daily basis. He is just fantastically one of the guys and uh, he does such a great job working with younger and older players it's like having another coach on the field and it's been fantastic Canada's number one LPGA golfer is of course Brooke Henderson she gets most of the spotlight and for good reason but the number two ranked player from Canada is veteran Elena Sharp who uh, came to our area recently to work with her coach to get her game in shape 
for the 2021 season. Kind of already set it at a dress, and then you just kind of shift into that right right heel. In 2020, it was very difficult because I was doing FaceTime videos. It's just not the same as having your coach right there, face to face interaction with golf, especially for me being a field player. Corkscrew into that ground. It's been a full calendar year since LPGA veteran Elena Sharp's been able to work with her swing coach Brett Saunders up close and personal. Sharp spent two full weeks in quarantine to make this fine-tuning happen. For just over a week now, Elena and Brett's been putting in nine-hour sessions to make the most of this precious time together. She's been doing it for 17 years, and she works hard every day. Like, to see a 39-year-old veteran, you know, she's uh, the oldest, I believe, that's got a full card, don't quote me on that, on the LPJ, but she's still in the top 25 distance. Uh, so she's, she's ball striking wise, she's right there, but more importantly, the, she just loves it. She loves the process. She loves the grind. And Elena Sharp is going to put together the low round of the week. That's a 64, just one of her career low on the LPGA Tour. So Shooting 64 in your final round of the 2020 season is the kind of action a golfer can't wait to duplicate in the new year. Elena has 14 top 10 finishes in her career, but is still in search of that elusive first LPGA victory. However, she'll tell you point blank that the biggest achievement of her career was marrying her caddy and partner in life, Sarah Bowman, a few months ago at their home in Arizona. I think it's huge, and I think like some some of the some of it that we didn't get married right away is being in the U.S. It's just a little different. Like I feel much safer and more secure in myself being up in Canada. Um, but finally, we did it, and you know, Sarah always jokes that if she didn't ask me, we'd never get married. So, but um, I'm glad she did, and we officially got married in our backyard. It was an amazing night, um, memory to last forever. Another memory Elena would like to create is representing Canada at the Summer Olympics this summer. My goal is to win a medal. I don't care what color it is, but that's one of my goals. And to be a two-time Olympian, no one can take that away from me when I'm, you know. 70 or 80 years old talking about my golf career like I can say I'm a two-time Olympian and I got to wear the red and white and that's just a huge proud moment for me. All right Liverpool at one time was unbeatable at home not so much lately. Their 68 game unbeaten streak was ended recently and today against Brighton and Hove Albion they lost one nothing when uh, Steve Alzate Squib this one in. So another loss at home for Liverpool. Oh, Minnesota Wild won't play through February 9th because six of their players are now on the COVID-19 list. Uh-oh. I know. All right. Thanks, Squire. Tough to play with so many guys on the bench. All right. Uh, here's Andrew now the preview of Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. Some disturbing incidents involving female realtors in Metro Vancouver. Dozens have reportedly been receiving inappropriate calls and sexually explicit text messages. We'll speak with one of the victims tonight. And there's been a serious motorcycle crash along the Lougheed Highway in Mission. Two people were thrown from their bike. One, we are told, may not survive. We'll have more on this developing story tonight at 11. Chris, Sophie. All right, Anne, thank you. Up next, the BC boy who never waffles when it comes to what he likes to eat. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, it was an unusual plea from the desperate mother of a special needs child. She needed help finding a discontinued brand of waffles. As Kylie Stanton reports, the B.C. company that made the waffles heard about her problem and they jumped into action. The preparation is simple. Waiting is the hard part. They're yummy and I like to eat them. But for Jericho Roman, these few minutes are worth it. Every single time. He eats two boxes a day, which is 12. Him just eating anything at this point is just great for me. The nine-year-old latched onto Nature's Path cinnamon maple waffles this past year, living with autism while suffering extreme oral aversion and complex eating challenges. Nothing else compares. He will not eat. He will not eat and it will just spiral downhill. So when stock runs low, his mother usually just runs to the store. But a few months ago, when the brand discontinued the flavor altogether, panic set in. A parent not having food to feed to their child, especially dealing with so many challenges, I I can't even express in words what that feels like. Roman took to social media, sharing her son's story and creating a GoFundMe in hopes of raising enough money to cover the costs of whatever stock of Nature's Path waffles remained, as well as a deep freeze to store them. But the company was one step ahead. We heard about Jenna's story and Jericho, so we started mobilizing. An entire team searched the network across North America, finally tracking down the last six cases in Illinois and immediately flying them to Canada. And there are 12 boxes of waffles in each case, so we have a lot of waffles here. On top of that, Nature's Path has included some other goodies to try, but knowing how challenging that may be for Jericho, there's a backup plan. R&D is now working on it, trying to develop a recipe where she could find the ingredients locally and hopefully recreate the same experience at home. The news um, is still slowly sinking in. Speechless because this is exactly what, what I need. The supply should last more than a month, at which point Roman hopes she'll have the recipe perfected, never having to wait or worry ever again. Thank you so, so much. Kylie Stanton. So much. Global News. Bye. Bye. Way to go, Jericho. Hope he's enjoying his waffles for dinner right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And maybe some birthday cake for my father-in-law later. Mm-hmm. David, happy birthday, da. Love you very much. Last word on weather before we go. Sure. So we'll likely see heavy rain through the morning hours. So leave yourself a little bit of extra time for your commute. It is going to be a wet day, but hopefully much drier on Friday. Just one day, everyone. Until the next day. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good night, all. Thanks for watching.